Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Dozens of Alaskan villages are assessing damage from a major storm over the weekend that brought flooding and high winds. The governor declared a state of disaster and is seeking federal funds to help recovery. Officials say there are months and possibly years of work ahead to repair the damage. At the same time, those affected are facing the onset of winter, which inhibits any outdoor construction and repairs. We'll get an assessment of the damage as of today in Alaska. We'll also check in later on the destruction from the hurricane in Puerto Rico. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native students, faculty, and staff at the University of Kansas gathered Wednesday to talk about plans for the handling of the remains of ancestors and cultural items. The university acknowledged this week it has possession of Native American remains and objects. Melissa Peterson, KU Director of Tribal Relations, is hopeful they'll return home. I am pleasantly surprised that we're, we, meaning our community, and, and me and my office um, are getting the support. Um, I don't think that is usually typical in these situations. They came, to, came together really quick to talk about a statement and how we can be transparent to campus. And the urgency for Native people to know where these remains are because it, that connection we have to them you know, a lot of good, but also a lot of bad in some of our cultures. Um, so it's been really nice. They actually are taking the time to understand, too, what it is we're feeling uh, individually and understanding that it's not the same for everyone, especially with our so many tribes and protocols that we have. KU student Michael Redbear says it's a sensitive topic and needs to be handled in collaboration with the Native community. You know, the more and more this goes on, the more sensitive the information becomes because it's so heavy and it's been unintended for so long. And so more focused on kind of like the, the mental um, shock that a lot of people are gonna have and kind of figuring out a way where we can alleviate some of that, um, that pressure. And I, I, believe, I strongly believe like what we did to this evening um, is one of those answers is where we ha we hold a circle together as a community and we talk about how we're feeling what the ideas what kind of ideas we have and sharing some food in the past there were some repatriation efforts but were never completed the U.S. Senate has confirmed Rosalind So as director of the Indian Health Service. She was nominated by President Biden in March. The nomination passed the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs in July. So is a citizen of the Navajo Nation and served as director of the Navajo Service Area, IHS. During her confirmation hearing in May, So told lawmakers working with tribes and other partners is key to providing care, especially during the pandemic. Throughout my career at Indian Health Service, I have worked to improve the agency to better meet the needs of the people we serve. This was most evident throughout the pandemic where I saw and was part of a true partnership with the Navajo Nation, the San Juan Paiute tribes, the local, state, federal, and private partners to collectively combat COVID-19. So says she'll work to strengthen business operations, improve accountability, transparency, patient safety, and address workforce needs. IHS delivers health care services to more than 2 million American Indians and Alaska Natives. 
The Cherokee Nation is launching a nationwide campaign to get a delegate to the U.S. House before Congress adjourns in December. Mandated by treaty, the tribe's first ever delegate to Congress would be Kim Teehee. The position was promised in the 1800s. The Cherokee Nation says efforts to seat the position were delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Cherokee Nation and its citizens are mobilizing across the U.S. calling on Congress to act. The effort includes advertising, grassroots movements, and public events. According to the Cherokee Nation, the effort has bipartisan support and is backed by tribes and tribal organizations across the country. The Cherokee Nation has more than 400,000 citizens residing in all 50 states, including on its reservation in Oklahoma. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media's ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival, celebrating together. The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of indigenous films at visionmakermedia.org, October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Right now, state and local officials in Alaska are tallying up the damage from the storm that battered some 1,000 miles of the state's western coast. Several villages in the path of the storm brought on by Typhoon Murbach lost power and had their water treatment systems breached. There was major damage to homes and hundreds of people were evacuated. It was the strongest storm in at least half a century, and some experts are predicting there will be a more powerful of weather events going forward. A little later in today's show, we'll hear from someone in touch with people in Puerto Rico who are dealing with major damage and even fatalities after Hurricane Fiona. We have some resources on our page to check out if you are interested in helping out the citizens of these two places. And if you'd like to join our conversation, we'd really like to hear from you. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. First guest on the show today, on the line, joining us from Hooper Bay, Alaska, is Jan Olson. He's the tribal administrator for the native village of Hooper Bay. He's Yupik. Jan, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Well, Jan, we're all really, really concerned in, in watching closely at these developments there in Alaska, um, These this huge, huge storm uh, of a magnitude that so many people are saying, people who've lived in Alaska for, for decades are saying they've never seen anything like it in their entire lives. Uh, tell us right now, how are things going in Hooper Bay? Well, we're doing our best at the moment. You know, we've, uh, these last few days have been really tough for our community, not just, uh, you know, with what's happened to our homes and, you know, um, our other Things that uh, got damaged, you know, it's uh, it's also mentally uh, challenging for you know people that were involved, you know. Um, so 
Yeah, that's uh, but the, you know we're doing our best and trying to um, you know, get things uh, at least a little bit back to normal. Okay, well, Jan, tell us um, what was the storm like from from your perspective? What what have you seen? What have you felt? What have you experienced? Well, my it hit close to home. I was actually at travel, but I was talking with my wife, and my uh, wife had to evacuate our home to evacuation center, and then they had to evacuate again because, uh, I like it. I'll say this: it hit close to home. You know, my home. It's uh, we're not staying in our home no more due to the water getting to it, and you know, getting it off its foundation. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife and kids had to walk to knee-deep, just about knee-deep water. And, you know, they were so terrified. They've never seen this in their lives. Knee-deep water. Uh, Is it still knee-deep? Has it receded at all since it started? It's receded. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's back to... It's uh, normal water levels. Okay. Now, you were evacuated. Where were you evacuated to? There was a... Where, where we live is the old part of town, and, um, you know, it, there's not really a place to evacuate, but, you know, they went to what we call the old uh, PD, which belongs to the traditional council now, and... After they were there, they had to move to the Catholic Church, which which is a little higher. But uh, since there's no electricity due to the AVEC, what we call the Alaska Village Electric Company, they had to shut down the AVEC due to power lines in our old part of town being separated, I mean, uh, cut due to flying debris, and, you know, the flying debris was mainly the tin roofing from homes, and there's, a, you know, a lot of sparks due to the wires connecting, touching each other, so they had to shut the electric, uh, yeah, the electric company down. Okay, so they shut the electricity down. Have they been able to turn it back on, or are you still without power? It's still back. It's uh, we're back on. You know, the we're fortunate that you know the our people here, the people who work with the AVEC, you know, they were able to go out the next day and you know um, try to see where they were actually severed the, the lines and um, mm-hmm. there's a. Uh, even um, I think it was a transformer that was caught on fire, and so you know it was very bad. You know our lines there above uh, ground up high, and they're not uh, built to sustain such high winds. Jan, what about food, clean drinking water? Do you have all that stuff, those necessities in place? Yes, we've received a bunch of donations. You know, luckily our water source, which we have a water water well, wasn't uh, affected. 
So, you know, but, it's, uh, there is plenty of food and water. Okay. Well, that's good to hear for sure. And, and unfortunately, we have learned that there have been some storm-related deaths in Alaska. Do you know how many lives have been lost up to this point? I haven't heard anywhere around this area, so um, I'm not too sure about the nord, northern northern port. Like you mentioned, it's uh, all the way up the coast, about a thousand miles. So, okay. um, so last a, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Go. Um, yeah, a thousand miles. So I, I mean, so. The devastation, the destruction, it stretches. Uh, There's similar villages along this thousand-mile stretch of coastland that are, are all in these similar situations with, with flooding, with homes being uprooted from their foundations, a loss of power, other emergency situations. I mean, th this that's a huge, huge stretch of land, a thousand miles. Just uh, really... Yeah, absolutely. And, and and Jan, you've lived in Alaska your whole life. Have you ever experienced anything like this before, a storm of this magnitude? I have never. You know, I've seen some uh, what we thought were bad storms, you know, with winds up to 40 to 50, but I've never seen that destruction okay. like this. Okay. Well, you know, Jan, I mean, I mean, you know, we're all down here uh, in the lower 48 and, and we're watching uh, intently at what's going on, but we're just seeing so much going on. We've got this huge hurricane down in, in Puerto Rico. And I just got to ask you, Jan, what do you think's going on with the world right now? I mean, with these storms and uh, what's what's happening here? Um, you know, we're wondering the same thing, but uh, as a child, you know, I'm I grew up all my life here, and I'm uh, 47 years old. And as a child, my grandma would tell us that you, you know, that our weather will change along with the people. You know, the uh, um, and it's uh, it would only get worse. And you know, I didn't think that I would actually see this. You know, I was kind of naive about it. And we're actually seeing the, the storms. You know, it's uh getting worse and worse and we're wondering how how much worse could it get I think so many people are, are feeling that same way I mean um, you know anybody who's been paying attention to the environment and, and some of these ecological factors we, we we've been concerned about this for a long time but the pace at which these things are occurring, these frequent storms, uh, the wildfires, the droughts. It's just real alarming how it's just going so quickly. So really appreciate you sharing that that history and, of course, uh, what the elders have told you in the past. And, Jen, let's go back to, to what you're currently dealing with there in Hooper Bay. I mean, how long do you think it's going to be before life gets back to normal as you know it and, and some of these repairs can be made? It's going to be a while. You know, there's uh, five homes that, you know, Red Cross came out and they said that uh, um, five homes that were uh, what they call hard damage, you know. Just, uh, and, uh, one was what um, mine, and you know, it's uh, there's a couple homes that are very bad. You know, I'm fortunate that you know we may be able to repair my foundation and you know repair my home and there's one home that's so ba so bad that you know i don't think it's repairable and one home got uh, uplifted and moved from its foundation about 
30 feet onto the road. Luckily, there was a the road was high enough to where you know it didn't float away. And uh, our hey. um, our uh, AVEC tanks, our electric company tanks, you know, there's a um, levee around it, and we, you know, we thought it was high enough, but the water level was so high that it uh, overturned a couple of uh, tanks, fuel mm. tanks for the electric company. Wow. Well. Yeah, this is just uh, so disturbing, Jan, and really appreciate you uh, joining us today. I, I know you must be dealing with a lot, so uh, we really do want to thank you for, for taking the time to uh, come on our show and tell us uh, what all's going on there at Hooper Bay. We're speaking with Jan Olson, and he's telling us about some of the devastation and some of the, the damage that's currently uh, underway there, and a thousand miles of coastal land there in Alaska, uh, this terrible, terrible storm over the weekend, waves in excess of 50 feet, massive destruction. Um, folks, if you want to give us a call, uh, maybe you're in Alaska, and if you have power and if you want to share what you're going through, you want folks to know what the situation is like where you are located in Alaska, we would definitely like to hear from you. Our number, 1-800-996-2848. If you're down here in the lower 48 or anywhere else and you just want to give a shout-out, Thoughts and prayers to our Alaskan Native brothers and sisters. You can do that as well, too. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We're back with more guests from Alaska coming up next. There's an effort emerging in Sitka, Alaska to preserve important cultural places called clan houses. But their future is caught between tribal traditions and modern Western legal constraints, and many clan houses are disappearing. We'll learn more about it on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're getting a better picture today of the damage incurred by a major storm in Alaska. Officials are still coming to grips with how to make the necessary repairs before winter hits in just a few weeks. If you'd like to join the conversation, just call in at 1-800-996-2848. There's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. If you're interested in learning uh, what folks can do to help, go ahead and visit our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. Just east of where Jan Olson is in uh, Hooper Bay there uh, is a community called Chivac. And from Chivac, we have Peter Tuluk on the line. He's the general manager for KCUK Radio. He's from the Kashanumit tribe. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Sean. Uh, <clears throat> uh, thank you for having me on National Native News. 
Well, Peter, uh, we just really appreciate you taking the time to join us here at Native America Calling. And uh, you're a radio guy yourself. You're the general manager of KCUK there, right there in Chivac. And I understand the station lost its transmission tower. Uh, what happened and how long is it going to take to fix that? Well, uh, <clears throat> on early Saturday morning, uh, 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 when I was uh, checking the radio station uh, on the way, I, I, I was kind of shocked that the tower wasn't there, and I rushed over there and saw that the tower had uh been thrown, blown down, and, uh, and luckily didn't hit any building or anybody was there. But uh, uh, so I turned off all the uh, electrical connection in the uh, tower building, and then went to the radio station and and started uh, calling around uh, our affiliates, and uh, so but. Uh, before the tower fell, uh, when we learned about that typhoon, we started announcing on radio to have people start securing their properties, and uh, and uh, they did. They did uh, a lot of them in the Kashunamir uh, tribe. In the first responders, uh, they they cleared the boats on uh, on uh, river banks and. Uh, so, and then on Friday uh, afternoon, the wind started picking up, and uh, and late af- afternoon, we we, uh, we saw that our river, which flew out, which flew out to Hoopoe Bay, and uh, started overflowing, and that's when the flood started. The flooding started, and the wind was, and the wind kept picking up, and. Uh, so then, uh, so people were making sure that uh, uh, their properties around there uh, try to secure them and things that could fly away, things like something like that. And so, and then the wind started hitting it. Friday uh, evening, the wind started picking up and and it started shaking the homes and. So people can stay home, and uh, so and uh, Saturday morning, man, when I went out, and <clears throat> first I looked out of my window to Chupa Bay, the whole low-lying tundra was like ocean, and I went down, checked south of us, and the river, uh, and it was still windy, and uh, yeah, the whole low-lying. Tundra was covered with water and the worst flooding I've ever seen in my lifetime. But uh, there have been floods uh, uh, in our history, but uh, mm-hmm. people still survived there. But uh, this one was one of the worst I've ever seen, and along with the wind uh, windstorm. And uh, and uh, all uh, even the boats down that they secured put on t- uh, on the bank of the river they were <coughs> excuse me some of them was some of them sank and some of them were floated away and uh, 
some of the caches that were like st- little storage places, some float away. And anything that float away on the on tundra starts floating in the, uh, in the, and some of the first responders were uh, trying to uh, uh, salvage the chunk boats, and then but they were uh, they were still windy, and the uh, water was still rising. And uh, Chivac is uh, located on uh, small hills, and uh, 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 so the community, the buildings, and everything were. Uh, not reached by water, uh, so uh, and um, okay, and or. Peter, Peter, I'm sorry. I just, um, you know, we've got a caller on the line here, and um, I, I just want to thank you again for for joining us and, uh, and and giving us that really, really vivid description of of the destruction. And it's just uh, it's just mind blowing to to sit here and listen to you and hear of this destruction. And uh, thoughts and prayers to you, to your family, and all of the people there in your community of Chivak and. Folks, we've got a caller on the line right now in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, listening on KNBA. Naomi, Naomi, hello. Thanks for calling in. Hi, my name's Naomi. I'm a nurse at a Lake, um, Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, and um, I've been there for almost four years. And I just uh, wanted to give a just a shout out to all the people affected by the storm: Scannon Bay, Chivak, Hooper Bay. There's so many others. Um, I've taken care of lots of patients from all those villages and very, very strong, wonderful people. Um, and we're just really feeling for you. Um, we weren't affected here in Anchorage, um, but, but we are because we're a community and uh, really thinking about everyone who lost a lot of subsistence equipment um, and how that's really going to affect them and how Alaska would like to stand with the people that are far away from us but part of our community. Um, I did want to comment that actually there have been no lives lost, um, miraculously, and no injuries that we know of. Naomi, thank you for that clarification. Thank you for calling and uh, and, and all these warm wishes for, for your fellow uh, citizens there in Alaska. And thank you for clarifying. I misspoke earlier. Uh, I was looking through some notes, and I, I think I was referring to a different incident. So thank you for clarifying. And that's such good, good news to hear. No deaths, no serious injuries there in Alaska. Naomi calling in there from Anchorage. Uh, our next guest is um, also joining us from the village of Chivak. Emily Schwing uh, is a freelance reporter in Alaska. Emily, welcome back to Native America Calling. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Emily. And um, you know, just hearing about uh, this storm, the the magnitude of it is, is just like I mentioned. It's it's hard to fathom uh, for me down here listening, and I think many of the other folks in, in the lower forty eight. But uh, give us some more updates about other parts of the of the state and, and this thousand mile stretch of coastal land that has just been ravaged by this storm. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I think some of the I guess you would call it devastation that's being overlooked is just what your last caller touched on, um, you know, subsistence gear, um, all kinds of different tools that people use in their subsistence lifestyle, whether it be to gather berries, go fishing, um, moose hunting, seal hunting, a lot of that has been lost. Um, I'm here in Chivac and, um, you know, the community says they had about 100 boats and up to 90% of them have either been damaged or completely destroyed and rendered unusable. Um, 
this really couldn't have happened at a worse time. It's, you know, the heart of moose hunting season. Um, it, you know, people will still be fishing through the winter um, and out for fall seal hunting. Uh, and, and it's just going to be really hard for people to keep their freezers full. I, I think the other, the other thing that, you know, we're not thinking about immediately is that when the power went out, um, you know, people also lost the contents of what they spent the entire spring and summer months gathering for food uh, to feed their families for the winter. So Emily, yeah, I mean, ninety percent of these boats gone, food stocks uh, perished because of lack of power. So uh, it sounds like Jan mentioned earlier they do have in his community. There's there's plenty of fresh water, there's plenty of food, but but going forward, um, with so many folks now um, losing their their ability to get food either through fishing or, or other means or, or their stocks, their stores. Um, is there a re very real threat of people just not having enough to eat going forward? Um, I would say absolutely, yes. You know, um, groceries are, are really expensive in Alaska's Native communities. Um, you know, I was just in a village last month where one single green pepper costs $6.59. You know, here in Chivac, I was told yesterday that a gallon of drinking water is $11.00. Um, by comparison, they're paying roughly $5.50 for gasoline. Um, it's also very expensive uh, to lose your boat. You know, people are telling me that a boat alone costs, you know, eight to $10,000. The motor that goes with it um, could be ten dollars or $20,000. And, and we're talking about, you know, people who are living on annual incomes of $30,000 or less. So, this is financially okay. devastating. It's, it's just, you know, from a food security perspective, it's devastating. There's some very serious and real issues here in the village. Okay. And now, Emily, I mean, you know, this has been declared a disaster area. Uh, relief funds, any of these humanitarian efforts, um, do you think they're going to be enough to, to stave off some of these potential risks here going forward? Um. You know, I don't know if I can answer the question of will it be enough. What I can say is, you know, from my experience as a reporter, a lot of these processes are very slow moving. You know, there's there's a bureaucracy and, and a lot of red tape that goes along with dealing with government agencies, whether it's, it's you know, at the state level, the federal level. Um, and there is a real sense of urgency here. You know, it's it's the first day of fall for the rest of America, but we've been in the midst of our fall season here in Alaska for a long time. Winter and the first, you know, freeze-ups are probably two, maybe three weeks away. You know, by the end of October, which is a month from now, there will be ice on the river here in Chivac. Um, and that's also really serious. We're, t we're talking about, uh, you know, the long, dark, cold months of winter bearing down on us. Uh, okay. and there's real sense of urgency. Okay, uh, for sure. And, and then, Emily, I mean, I understand there, there's concerns that there could be another storm coming soon as well, a follow-up. Is that a very real risk and a, and a concern as well? Yeah, so um, it is a real risk. And, and, and you know, I think the, the storm that you're talking about is a typhoon called Nanmadal that um, – hit Japan earlier this week, uh, from what I've been told by the National Weather Service, 
um, that wasn't going to be anything comparable to the remnants of Typhoon Murbox that, that hit Alaska this past weekend. But, you know, we're heading into um, the fall season um, along the coastline and with a changing climate, storms are becoming more dramatic and more frequent um, due to warming ocean temperatures. And, and you know, so to have this level of damage happen so early and then know that there could be more dramatic fall storms coming behind, uh, you know, that's, it's a really scary thing for people who are living out here on Alaska's West Coast. It really, really is. And when exactly was the storm declared a federal emergency? Um, that's a great question. So um, the governor of Alaska did declare a state disaster um, on September 19th. So, or actually, I think it was earlier than that, on, 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 over the weekend, so about Saturday. There was a lot of um, kind of just hard feelings among native leader Alaska native leaders who were asking the governor to to make a request to the Biden administration immediately for a federal disaster declaration just to start to free up uh, funding that can come uh, from federal agencies including FEMA uh, immediately I think because they really uh, recognize the sense of urgency in this situation um, a federal disaster request was made yesterday by the governor to uh, the Biden administration. Uh, and here, I mean, we're going almost on, on a week now. So uh, are, are there continued criticisms? And um, I mean, what are folks thinking there in, in these villages and other parts of Alaska? Are they disappointed, to say the least, that there hasn't been a more prompt response? Yeah, you know, it's a complicated it's a complicated issue. Um I think there are a lot of people in leadership uh positions in the Alaska Native community who feel like um they might have been ignored and that the state could have responded earlier um if not have sent resources to communities prior to the storm. Um, making landfall in Alaska last Friday night. Um, the state did have information starting about last Tuesday um, that this is going to be an historic and dramatic storm. Um, I, I think a lot of people might feel like this state sort of sat back and just sort of waited to see what might happen rather than immediately sending resources in preparation. Um, I think the the state and the governor's office would argue that um, they have been very busy this week doing damage assessments so that they could better inform their request uh, for a federal disaster declaration. Um, but uh, according to uh, federal statute, um, you can request a federal disaster. I think we might have just lost Emily there. Emily, oh, there. Oh, I'm still uh, here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. You just kind of faded out okay. there just for a second. Okay, that's <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, yeah, no worries. Was... We're gonna uh, go ahead, finish it. We're gonna about to, about yeah, another minute before we saying... go to break. But okay, I was just saying that um, I think 
people just felt like, you know, damage assessments didn't have to be completed before a, a federal declaration was requested. But, you know, what the governor was thinking is is, is what the governor was thinking, and, and none of us can know quite for, for sure uh, his intentions. We're speaking with Emily Schwing. She is a freelance reporter. She's there in Chivac as well and giving us more updates and also telling us a little bit about the state response uh, to this catastrophe and uh, as well as um, some criticisms that are being leveled on, on state government with regard to what many will consider uh, a delayed response. Uh, and perhaps um, we're going to hear more about that here after our break. So, if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, 1-800-996-2848. Again, if you're in Alaska, if you are able, if you have power, if you have access to a cell phone or some form of communication, if you can get on a laptop, communicate via social media, we'd love to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848. Back right after the break. Stay with us. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application deadline is October 15th at online.nmhu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Extreme weather is nothing new for Alaska, but a major storm just caused havoc along the state's western coast. It's a storm that historically blows in once or twice in a lifetime, but there are some experts who warn this could be more frequent now because of climate change. If you're interested in contributing to this conversation, give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Fairbanks is Rick Toman. He's the climate specialist for the Alaska Center for Climate Assessment and Policy. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Well, Rick, tell us more here, uh, you know, from your scientific perspective, hearing about this this huge storm, uh, record storm, uh, these huge waves, the thousand miles of coastland being impacted. Uh, you know, just why exactly is it different from these storms in the past? And, and how does it stack up uh, in terms of the magnitude, in terms of the damage, the flooding, and some of these other factors? Well, this was a, a really unusual storm, especially for this early in the year. Tropical storm Murbach formed in a part of the North Pacific, the subtropical North Pacific, that historically has very rarely seen tropical storms because the ocean temperatures have just not been warm enough. But with the warming oceans and the fact that this year, this summer in the North Central uh, Pacific, temperatures are near record levels, it was warm enough, and that storm made a beeline right into the Bering Sea. We have reliable records going back to about 1950, and this is by far the strongest storm in the Bering Sea in the month of September. We've had a few stronger storms, but much later in the fall. At places uh, where we have uh, water level measurements, which are only a few places 
in western Alaska. At Nome, this was the highest uh, ocean level since uh, November 1974 storm, and we've heard from elders up and down the coast from um, the Kuskokwim Bay all the way up to the Bering Strait that this was, you know, if, if not the worst, um, one of the worst storms in their lifetime. So really a remarkable storm. And the fact that we ha this came from a tropical uh, cyclone in the, forming in the, a part of the North Pacific that historically that has hardly ever happened, that is our, that is our changing environment fingerprint all over it. Rick, is it miraculous that there have been no lost lives because of this storm? Well, this storm, uh, the the large scale uh, weather models handled this very, very accurately. Um, in the sense that, as previous um, folks have mentioned, it was clear by early last week there was going to be a major storm in the Bering Sea. Now. So the, wor the word was getting out at least by midweek that a big storm was coming. And of course, the, the Bering Sea coast in Alaska is one of the stormiest places in the world. Folks are used to dealing with storms. Now, this was, of course, of, of much more extreme than most. But uh, storms are part of the environment. Folks know how to deal with it. And the fact that uh, the federal agencies were getting the word out early um, hopefully helped uh, prevent any loss of life. Obviously, as we've heard, massive infrastructure damage, both in towns and to um, subsistence infrastructure. So what's the prediction from here on out? I mean, any indication that these storms, I mean, again, coming from the tropics, uh, are we going to see more of this going forward in the years to come? Well, we, we can be highly, highly confident that the oceans are going to continue to warm. And this was really, I think, a wake-up call for Alaska. It's not that, that ex-typhoons never come to Alaska, but they take a much more circuitous route, uh, t turning, coming up the, the coast of Japan and then getting caught up in the jet stream and moving into uh, western uh, Bering Sea and sometimes uh, further east. This was a much more direct route. This is not something that uh, we would have looked for. If you'd have asked me two weeks ago about a, a typhoon forming where this one did, I said, oh, no, they form much farther southwest. So this is really a wake-up call. Will this happen every year? Of course not. A lot of pieces have to come together to, to produce this kind of storm. But over the coming decades, this will probably be the not be the last uh, storm forming in this unusual, historically unusual area and then impacting western Alaska. We're speaking with uh, Rick Toman. He's a, a climate specialist there in Alaska. And folks, there are links on our webpage if people are thinking of donations, both for Alaska and Puerto Rico, where our, our next guest is going to tell us about uh, what's going on there with regard to the hurricane down there in uh, Puerto Rico. So, um, folks, uh, again, this is just a really, 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 really unprecedented event that we're dealing with. And um, just uh, if you got a question, if you got a comment, still time to get on the line, 1-800- Nine nine six two eight four eight. So let's move on and talk about this disaster down in Puerto Rico. Uh, another major storm making headlines, and it is affecting indigenous people there as well. 
Hurricane Fiona pounded Puerto Rico this week, causing flooding and power outages. The U.S. territory still hasn't recovered from Hurricane Maria, which killed thousands of people in 2017. So let's go to Walterio Alomar. He is in Long Branch, New Jersey. He's not down there in Puerto Rico, but he's going to give us an update. He's the president of the Organization for Culture of Hispanic Origin. He's Taino. Walterio, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be here again. Absolutely. So what are you hearing from uh, your brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico about what life is like there after Hurricane Fiona? Uh, well, it's, it's a pretty bad situation. There's still uh, approximately a million Puerto Ricans or a million customers that are out of power. Um, it's been several days and, uh, you know, they, they're making very little progress uh, as, as, as kind of expected. Um, you know, there's heavy, heavy floodings. Homes have been washed away. There are there is uh, reportedly eight deaths so far, but um, I, you know I can expect that number to rise slowly as, as more and more time uh, goes by, and of course uh, you know the the, the antiquated uh, grid or the, the system, uh, of of course is uh, you know it, it continues to fail because um, you know the, the it is so old and and FEMA and and the powers that be that are operating on the island haven't been doing their their job in order to uh, repair the system and get everything back in place. Now, what is the most serious challenge for the people of Puerto Rico right now at this moment? Well, the, the most serious challenge right now is the grid, uh, the grid and the flooding, I would say. Um, you know, we, we have to get rid of all the water. You have to pump it out. Um, uh, and, you know, Puerto Rico is very mountainous and a lot of rivers and a lot of streams, a lot of hills and valleys. So you have to get rid of the water first. And then, of course, you know, uh, restoring the power. Now, there are some places that have restored power, uh, but there are issues with the solar panels uh, because the solar panels are in storm watch mode. And so if they even if they restore power back into that neighborhood, the solar power, the solar panels are not allowing the electricity come on. They're so, they're solely relying on the batteries that they, that the panels have been taking in during the sun, and so at night, uh, you know, they're on limited power uh, because of that. And there was a problem apparently with the uh, with the internet and the computer system. There's an app on the phone that you have to use in order to take it off of Stormwatch, and and there's there's all these problems with Tesla, who is is uh, you know is one of the companies that are responsible for the for the solar panels. So there's a lot of back and forth uh, as far as, you know, even when the power is back on, just turning it on in your house, depending if you have solar panels. Let's go back to the phones. We have Elizabeth listening online in Dallas, Texas. Elizabeth, hello. Hi. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, just wanted to give a shout out to the villages in Alaska that are being um, affected by the storm. Um, I live in Texas, but I used to work out in the Yukon, Kuskokwim Delta. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Scammon Bay, Hooper Bay, Chivac, and the other villages. Um, and for all the people who have lost their um, ability to do subsistence and are going to have a tough time um, making it through the winter. And just encourage people to donate to the Alaska Community Foundation, who is doing um, fundraisers for Western Alaska. Elizabeth, thanks for calling in and uh, giving that shout out. And you mentioned um, these subsistence hunters and, and just how precarious their situation is right now. And uh, Jan Olson, are you still on the line there, Jan, up there in uh, Hooper Bay? Yes, I am. 
Jan, I, I wanted to just um, pivot quickly, and if you could just just briefly um, talk about the significance of these subsistence hunters. I think a lot of us folks down here in the lower 48 don't necessarily understand just, just what that really means to be a subsistence hunter if you're not near a grocery store. And um, are they concerned about, about not getting aid or relief going forward? Yes, we are. You know, um we do a lot of subsistence, you know, especially this time of the year where, you know, we're waterfowl hunters and we're moose hunters. And I know there's a there's a, a lot that still haven't gone out and you know, we we our slough where we park our boats is usually full. And after the storm you can hunt the boats with probably your fingers, you know, and um, there's a lot that lost, you know, everything. Their their boat swamped, they're overturned, you know, and um, these boats that we do have, you know, they're, we try to get them as big as we can, and, you know, with those big boats, we need big motors, and a total boat now today, it's over 30, about $36,000, $36,000, a total package of a big boat and a big motor. So that's a okay. big loss, you know. That's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you, uh, Jan, for, for uh, you know, giving us that clarification. And let's go back to Walterio now. And um, so, Walterio, you know, going back to Puerto Rico and um, the territory, you know, was still suffering from the effects of Hurricane Maria a few years ago. And I know you were a lineman responding to Hurricane Maria. So you had your boots on the ground there during that catastrophe. Um, you were experiencing it. You saw it at a much closer level than other folks. And how much of this um, this new damage um is is just you know part of that earlier damage or part of that that earlier um, impact from from Hurricane Maria? Right, right. Well, first uh, let me correct you. Uh, Puerto Rico is not a territory; it is a colony of the United States or its property of the United Thank States. Thank you for the clarification. Thank so you, Walter. Uh, clear that up. As far as uh, you know, when I was out there and the work that we did, and in comparison to what they're doing now. There were many issues when I was working out there. I, was, I worked alongside with FEMA and the Army Corps of Engineers, and, and they were actually causing more problems than they were solving. Now, they've allotted you know, uh, approximately $4 billion in order to rebuild Puerto Rico, and uh, this was five years ago. And there's approximately 5,000 homes that still had blue tarps on the rooftops uh, prior uh, up to this date, they they had five. There's still five thousand homes that have uh, blue tarps on their home uh, on their property. Uh, uh, many many homes are still in disrepair or had to be abandoned uh, because they refuse to uh, to honor the homeowners. Because you know in 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 Puerto Rico, uh, home ownership is kind of passed down just from one family member to the next, and it's not necessarily done on paper. So if you weren't able to show the documents to FEMA that, you know, that your grandfather owned the house and he signed it over to your mother and then to you, you were denied funds. $4.4 billion were given to FEMA to, uh, you know, to put back into the island, but uh, approximately $3.6 billion went to U.S. contractors who were supposed to be making the repairs on the island, and they have mm-hmm. not. 
Now, the grid, as far as that's concerned, the money to repair the grid was another issue because when repairing the grid, and I was part of that, we were only allowed to restore to what it was prior to the storm. You were, we're not allowed to replace uh, parts on the grid. It was only to restore to what it was prior to the storm. So whatever condition it was in prior to Hurricane Maria, that's what we were able to restore it to. We couldn't add new. We could not start new. That mo- the, the money that FEMA was allotted to us was solely just for that purpose. So therefore, we're just putting Band-Aids on all the equipment um, that we were repairing. It's just a Band-Aid. And then as soon as the next storm comes, everything gets knocked out. Now, they've uh, there's a new company now called Luma operating in Puerto Rico. It's a, it's a U.S. and uh, Canadian company that's operating uh, on the island. And they have, have done a worse uh, job than the prior utility company, and, and they've hiked the rates of 33%. So even mm, during okay. these outages, even during these outages, people will receive bills. Even oh though they've gosh. been out of power okay. for a week or two, they're still going to receive bills. Uh, from these companies. So, you know, it, it's it's pretty disastrous out there. Okay, okay. Well, Terry, thank you for those updates there and uh, thoughts and prayers again to the people of, of Puerto Rico. We've got time for one more call. We have Brenda uh, living in Gearing, Alaska, or living in Deering, Alaska. I'm sorry. Uh, Brenda, we've got about a minute to go before we got to wrap up, but you've got the airwaves right now. Oh, thank you. Um, about 100 years ago, our pastor dreamt that Deering sank, and so he took half the people and moved to Norwich. They even took our church. But I don't think the Deering is going to sink. I think the water is going to rise and just cover us because we're just right on the coast there. Okay, that's all. Thank you. Well, Brenda, thank you for calling us and, um, and, and giving us that update there and, um, and sharing your thoughts and, and your concerns. And, folks, again, uh, please check out our web- website if you'd like to learn more uh, about what's going on there in Alaska and, and Puerto Rico. And we have resources that are available for you folks there online that uh, want to better inform yourselves of uh, these current events. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. We're going to have to wrap up. But before we do, I want to thank all of our guests today, as well as our callers and and these really, really impactful updates and uh, the information shared both in Alaska and Puerto Rico. I'll be back on the air tomorrow to close out the week with another trip to Alaska. In fact, uh, this time we're going to be talking about an important Tlingit tradition that's at a crossroads. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is, find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Support by Vision Maker Media. Announcing their ninth biennial Vision Maker Film Festival. Celebrating together. 
The Vision Maker Film Festival will present five weeks of American Indian, Alaska Native, and worldwide indigenous films with a new theme each week. Indigenous peoples and languages, Alaska Natives, ooh, scary, and more, all available at visionmakermedia.org October 10th to November 11th, 2022. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.